well, Sarah, welcome, welcome to Soda. Um, oh I mean, my goodness! Yeah. Hey. Hi, Jason. Welcome to Soda. And oh, oh my goodness! Look at look at all these other these people, millions oh, of viewers, man. viewers, M- listeners. Wow, <laughs> probably viewing something, but it's not us. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to Soda. (laughs) (laughs) You are in two places at once, people, and I am impressed. (laughs) Oh, man. Just well done, everybody. Uh, Well well done. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Wow. So, Sarah, what do you have uh, for us this week? Listen, Jason, I am so excited to talk about the Minneapolis Art Lending Library, also known as Mall. We have heard about this before. We have. You know, I wonder where. Oh, right. It was in literally my first interview that we put on the podcast when we were first starting out with Mr. Larson Husby. Which was Uh, a wonderful interview, and you did it all in one take, and (laughs) it it was just perfect. Go back and listen to it. Oh, man. I am actually sitting underneath an original signed Larson Husby right now. That's true, as am I. I have one also. I I got us matching... Uh, South Dakota Larson Husby Prince. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah. Larson Husby is the founder of Mall in the city? He is he is one of three in that he is a co-founder. Yes. So so uh, without getting too much into it, Larson was one of three artists. Um, Mall was founded along with Mac Ballantyne and Julia Caston, also both practicing artists. Um, and I interviewed Larson in our second episode, Larson Husby, and the Altered Aesthetics Film Festival, which was released on June 19th. If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, go back and listen to that interview, it will be a really nice way to tie that interview and this interview together full circle. And it's also just enjoyable. So you're welcome. So Jason, what do you have for us this week? Well, I went to the Austin City Limits Music Festival and there they had an art market. And while I was perusing their fine wares, I thought, you know where else has a great art market? Not just one, but many. It would be the Twin Cities. Hey, that's where I am currently right now. And that is where I'm coming back to, I promise. I'll be there. Anyways, so I did more research on art fairs. And you know what really comes to my mind right away is all the, the, the big heavy hitter summer ones. But actually, there are tons of opportunities to support local artists and buying their wares all year round. So I will be talking about that. In the news, we're going to be talking about how the Art Institute of Chicago has recently made about 44,000 images from their collection available online. And sounds great, right? It does sound pretty great. It is great, but it also has some critique from general audiences as well and that's another thing we will we will touch on towards towards the end of this episode awesome i look forward to having that discussion with you likewise all right sarah do you want to tell us a little bit about mall as it were yeah let's get into it (laughs) 
So uh, this week, I would like to introduce all of you to the Minneapolis Art Lending Library, also known as Mall. Um, this is an organization that was founded by, um, among other people, Larson Husby, uh, who we interviewed in our very in our second episode of Soda. Go back and listen to it. That was released on June nineteenth, twenty eighteen. It's a great episode. Um, it was he co-founded it with artists Mac Ballantyne and Julia Caston. And actually, um, I remember. When, did I ever tell you this? I remember when um, Mac and Larson and Julia actually founded what was known as the Ledge Gallery. Are you familiar with this? I think I am. Well, I think I got a brief version. Yeah. So, um, so the, it was out of their apartment um, that they had on Third Avenue in Minneapolis, and basically it was one of those like 19th century apartments that are all around the Twin Cities. Um, where there's like these ledges that go all the way around a room, and I think it, I think it was for like putting art on them. Someone's going to correct me, I'm sure. Some no, 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 yeah, that's totally night. what they were for, so that you you hung them by by cords, so that you did. Oh no, these the are walls. too these are too low. Oh, maybe, maybe I don't know. Anyway, it's it was it's like a feature. Yeah, it's it's something that I have in my apartment too now in St. Paul, um, which is really great. So so <laughs> Mac and Larson decided to open this gallery in this apartment called the Ledge because it was there was a ledge in the space, and so they did. They had a couple of shows, um, and then that was the site of the first lending event for the Minneapolis Art Lending Library. That was back in 2013. Um, Basically, Mac and Larson and Julia had all experienced a lending library when they met in Germany, um, I believe a few years before that. And it's this concept that is based on um, a desire to to make art accessible to the general public for free. Um, And it's also a trust-based system, much like a library. I mean, there's, except it more, there's no like, well, no, there is some, there are late fees, um, but they're nominal at best. Um, Mostly it's just trusting that you are going to treat the artwork with care um, and that, you know, not damage it. And so um, it's, it's a way it now has grown into this like really wonderful organization, um, that has a lending event every three months. Um, I actually just went to their fall lending event. Um, and it's a really great opportunity to get art into your living space for absolutely no cost to you. There is no cost. This is a nonprofit organization. Um, and so you can donate certainly should, um, but there's no there's no definite cost to this. Um, you can learn about local artists and connect with your community. Um, the they do have a focus on Twin Cities artists, so that's a real plus. Um, and you can support local artists to earn money for their time and work. So uh, Mall charges nothing to artists to lend their works and pays artists honorariums who are selected for a fellowship, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, so one of the great things about these lending events that mall hosts is that they are never in one single place. Um, they move around the twin cities. And so they're most often in places like rec centers and libraries. Um, and this allows mall to, um, to reach a different audience 
almost every single time, like every three months they're reaching a whole new audience. Um, and basically then there are people like me who <laughs> subscribe to their newsletter, find out where the lending event is and just like follow them around like little art groupies. Um, like I just recently got this piece, um, from the lending event I went to last Saturday, um, called untitled slash wilt and weep. It's by an artist named Sarah Seppin. Um, and it's this beautiful painting, um, of what looks like a, like a high school bathroom, you know, with those, those weird, like super metal, uh, shower heads, like kind of poking out of the wall and there's no divisions or anything. It's just like a really beautiful, hyper-realistic piece. And I've loved it for so long and I finally got it this time around. But anyway, um, I, so I just follow wherever I was going, wherever I was going with that thought. That's where I was going. Now I have this great piece by Sarah Seppin and it lives, uh, on my ledge in my apartment. So how long can you keep each piece for? And if it's, if it's, uh, the locations are roaming around, if I, if it's my turn to, to return a piece, do, do I have to follow them around in order to return it? Um, so kind of, so to address your first question, um, you get to keep the piece for three months. Um, it gets to live on your wall or on your table. Cause they also do, um, like sculpture and ceramics and 3d works of other types. It's not just 2d wall hangings. Um, so yeah, you get to keep it for three months and then there are, um, return dates as well. So those are dates that you, you know, you actually meet them, you meet mall staff and the board at a certain spot and return your artwork. However, as I've experienced in the past, I'm rarely able to meet the return dates at the date and time. And so usually I will contact them ahead of time. I'll email them mall and I'll say, Hey, I can't make it to the return date. Is there another day that I could bring this by to someone? And usually one of the board members or one of the staff will agree to meet me at a location and we'll do like, like a art handoff in the parking lot. So this is what it's like to uh, go to one of these lending events. Um, you walk in and you are greeted by some super friendly volunteers. Um, all of the works that are available are set up in kind of an open space. And there's like every type of work. There's ceramics, there's photos, there's paintings, there's sculptures. Um, I will usually take one lap around <laughs> like kind of quick. Um, and then I'll just like kind of make mental notes like, Ooh, I want that piece or Ooh, I really want that piece. And then I'll like take another lap. Um, I, <laughs> I always have, uh, my eye on more than one piece. Um, and sometimes like the, with the work I just borrowed, um, by Sarah Seppin, I, I'm sorry, I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. Um, that if I can't get one of the works that I want in that lending event, I'll just look for it in the next lending event. Um, there's always a chance that it won't be there because if people really like the work that they could bring home with them, they can actually buy it. Um, so that hasn't happened for this work yet. Um, but so I was able to bring it to my home, which is really nice. Um, so I, I often find myself, um, in a silent, mostly friendly competition with other borrows. Like I'll, I'll see a work I really want, but someone else already has it in their arms or like they're already looking at it and I don't want to be rude, but I'm kind of like watching them from 
my from the, like the side of the room, like pretending to look at this one work. And then I'm like watching them and I'm like, don't take it, put it down, put it down. Um, but then, <laughs> but then they don't and that's okay. And I get another work that I love. And in another three months, I'll come back and just see if that other piece is there and take it home with me and it'll be really great. Sounds very Minnesotan of you. You know, yes. Um, not as Minnesotan as like cutting a donut in half when you're at work. So earlier you mentioned a fellowship opportunity. Could you get more into that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's one of the the main benefits that Mall provides to artists. So the first one, um, we'll get to the fellowship in just a sec, but the first main benefit that I really like to highlight about Mall for artists is that artists can submit their work to be lended out, lent out, and there is no fee for them to do so. Often when artists are submitting to a show, um, to an exhibition, to anything like that, there's there's a fee involved. There's either like a like a submission fee or an exhibition fee or, or something. Mall does not charge their artists anything. Um, so any any artist at any stage can submit their work um, to be part of the lending library, and then they of course get their work out in rotation, and they get their name out there, and their work lives in people's homes, and it's really really good publicity. Um, the other the other thing that you were referencing the uh, fellowship is a program that they started, I believe, a few years ago. Um, so it's it's a an artist, like basically an artist teaching fellowship um, that allows, well, pe- the artist has to apply um, and they basically do like a demonstration of their craft or they do a group art making activity during a lending event. Um, so some lending events that I've gone to, there's been an artist there um, a fellow artist who has who's helping you make like little artist books, um, and then there was another um, artist actually, uh, Shauna Lee, at um, one of the lending events last year that did, or maybe it was this year. Shauna Lee has been an artist who um, who has done a demonstration of her her uh, video artwork at one of the lending events. And so it gets you talking to artists and learning about their process and, and there builds that community connection that I was mentioning earlier too, which is like a nice, um, a nice potent byproduct of all of this, this art stuff. Um, mall could also buy it. Mall has been amassing their own little private collection as an organization. So that's really great too. Um, mall also only takes 25% of any sales, that come from the work being lent out to a borrower turned owner of the work that is uh, significantly lower than a lot of other galleries and organizations take out of a, out of a sale. I can't wait to have my next apartment in Minneapolis and be able to have a constantly rotating, uh, collection of artwork from people in my own community. I completely agree. It's really, it's really wonderful. So if you, if you wanted to see uh, when the next event was coming up, you could visit Mall's website at www.artlending.org. That's artlending.org. Um, and you can subscribe for their newsletter, their mailing list, and see um, when their 2019 events are posted, where they're going to be. And you yourself can go and meet some artists and engage with your fellow community members 
and get a nice, cool piece of art and bring it home. We've also linked the website in our show notes, so head over to sodapodcast.blog to check it out. So recently, as I mentioned, I went to the Austin City Limits Festival, was browsing their art fair there, and it just made me think about all the great art fairs that we have in the Twin Cities and Minnesota in general. There's lots of other things going on in the other cities, but I'm going to condense it down a little bit here. (laughs) Yes. So um, really what comes to my mind when I think about art fairs Um, I used to work at the Hennepin and Lake intersection, so of course the Uptown Art Fair was always, you know, complete anarchy, Uh, and, you know, you that comes to mind right away. But as I was doing some more research into what other art fairs are offered in the Twin Cities, I really found that there are things going on all year long, and especially... Now that we're coming up on the holiday season, I know it's a little early, but you know, you can just start start thinking about it. Put it put it in your mind that you want to support local artists this year as you're doing your Christmas shopping and and we're here to uh to tell you how. That sounds great. Um so how many how many holiday themed markets do we have available to us in the Twin Cities? I think it's kind of like uncountable. Really? To be honest. I found an uh, yeah, an article from Minnesota Monthly that said 50 plus markets of the Twin Cities and all the suggestions were great and and there's so many variations. There's art institutions that are doing it, you know, there are community centers, there's really specific craftsmen places, uh certain Minnesota-based stores, but also, you know, larger fairs, anything that you want, you can find it. Um, I'm just going to highlight a few things, Mm -hmm. uh, such as Art Attack. If you haven't heard of it, it's actually going on this weekend. So by the time that this posts, it will be the last day of Art Attack. And that is an open studio event at the Northrop King Building in Northeast Minneapolis. And November 4th is the last day. So, you know, just you can take us with and listen to us while you drive. Just go there now. Just just go there right now. If you're listening to this, go there right now. Go there now. However, if that's not possible for you, the Northrop King Building does first Thursdays. So open studios every first Thursday of the month. So if you don't make it um, today, just think about, you know, the first Thursday in December. You can go then. Similarly, the California Building in Northeast also has a similar setup. Uh, they have California Dreamin' going on this weekend as well, which the last day is Sunday. So once you're done at Northrop King, go to the California building. Go there now. Right now. Sarah? Right yes, now. Yes, yeah. right now. Are you going? Go. And they also have open studios every second Saturday from 11 to 4. So again, if you don't make it today, think about second Saturday. Nice. Yeah. So we are coming into the holidays, as I mentioned, and I just wanted to highlight a few different art fairs, um, specifically ones that are in art institutions. So, yeah, so our, you know, that we all know and love so well, the Suvac Center 
has a artist holiday shop, and it's held at Suvac. Um, they have 50-ish artists that participate, and it runs for basically the whole month of December. So, you know, if you're in the uptown area, stop by there. If you're a little more downtown and, you know, you are attracted to a little bit more risque names, Gamut Gallery has their Raging Art On (laughs) every holiday season. Oh, Gamut. (laughs) And it seems like a great time. So you get to experience a holiday market in a gallery setting. It's very salon style hanging you know obviously everything is handmade a lot of it is a lot of it is traditional artwork some of it is more craft craft works things like that um and from what i can tell pretty reasonably priced they also do uh music at the same time so you can go browse listen to some djs and support local artists while you're there that's awesome Totally agree. If you're looking for something that you might want to bring your whole family to, not that you don't want them to bring to Gamut and Suvac, but, you know, if, you, if everybody wants to fit in the same place all at once, uh, the American Swedish Institute holds, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but you will mark Nod. Yeah, so it's a it's a Christmas market and festival. Um, it's on December 1st and 2nd. And there are a, a wealth of local craftspeople and artists, um, and this is obviously geared towards a holiday. It looks like there's live music. Of course, they have that great cafe where you can get wonderful uh, Swedish food, and you're not even at IKEA. Oh, fika! So, it's fika. <laughs> Fika, yes. Fika, I miss you. The food is so good. And you can also browse their collection. So those are just a few of art institute and organization specific ones to check out. Highly recommend. I always would just um, go to the Walker and the Mia store when I when I lived there. When I didn't when I didn't have a specific thing, you know, where you're like, oh, my mom has everything. I don't know what to get them. I would just walk into like the Walker's store because there's always something there that you never knew that you needed. They always find the coolest gadgets and the most unexpected objects and really great books. So I also highly recommend that as like a little unique gift giving hack that art museums kind of have the best stuff. Oh, that's a really good idea. And I also, just to bring it back after we, after we thaw, uh, there are a lot of really great summer art markets. And these are kind of the, the really big ones that happen around the Twin Cities. And I found a great blog post on liveandlovemn.com that highlights summer Twin Cities art fairs. So I actually reviewed Art World in one of our earlier episodes, if not the earliest episode. Uh, no, because the earliest episode was it. Well, it was within our first five episodes. 
early episodes. So I apologize. We have been learning as we're going. It's probably going to seem kind of rough, but you know what? The content and the thought is what counts. That's right. But it also, this blog post also touches on art fairs of the suburbs, which are also quite massive usually and have a lot of talent, such as the Edina Art Fair and highlighting some beloved ones like the Stone Arch Bridge Festival, um, the Loring Park Art Festival, of course, my you know favorite dream and worst nightmare, the Uptown Art Fair. <laughs> um, yeah, and Powderhorn Art Fair has always been really delightful. So check that out. That's on our show notes. And so you can then be well-informed and just have your whole year planned out about supporting local artists for any of your gift-giving, homemaking, or soul-growing needs. (laughs) Indeed. Um, If I wanted my soul to grow every weekend via art markets and fairs. It sounds like I could. I mean, it sounds like even starting this weekend, right now, as we release this episode, that I could be going to an art market every single weekend until Christmas. Yes, you certainly could. And also after, I didn't, this is not an exhaustive list. Obviously, there are going to be open studios and opportunities to buy art and crafts all year round, Uh, and I can't even begin to wrap my head around the exponential and dynamic possibilities for just getting original art and putting it in my everyday life and putting it in the everyday life of those that I love and give gifts to. I agree. It's really nice to give somebody something that is unique, something that is handmade, um, and something that, yeah, that they just like maybe weren't expecting, but didn't know that they needed. And you get to look like an awesome gift giver. And I know whenever I get something, um, such as Sarah got me a Larson Husby print that if someone comes in and says, Oh yeah, is that South Dakota? I say, yes, and it's by an artist who I know, and we interviewed him, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a good story. So whether mm-hmm. you know the artist or not, um, the next person that comes in, you kind of want to brag about it and let yeah. them know that it's something special. So I agree, and actually um, one of the benefits of these art, art markets is that you can often talk to the artists or the makers when you're buying their product. Um, and that's really great. Like I've bought some things from the Weavers Guild, um, in the past. And so I was able to talk to the artists over there and like talk about their dyeing techniques. And when I gifted the the pieces to my family, I was like, oh yeah. And this was dyed this way with this type of dye and with this process. And so it's really, it adds a little something special. An educational opportunity for you and for all. Oh, an educational opportunity in everyday life brought to you by the thriving art scene in the Twin Cities. And soda. And soda. (laughs) Speaking of educational opportunities, should we talk about some news? We absolutely should. Let's do it. (laughs) 
So recently, the Art Institute of Chicago has offered about 44,000 images from its digital archives. So you can view wonderful and memorable pieces of art, like A Sunday on Le Grand Jeté by Jory Seurat, or Vincent van Gogh's The Bedroom. Uh, that have been scanned in very high definition, and you can view this in the comfort of your own home, on your own devices, and you can even download them, which is extra awesome. So this is something that really helps art be accessible. Uh, You don't have to be able to go to these institutions. You don't have to live there. You don't have the have to have the physical ability to be able to zoom in and really see the brushstrokes on a painting or get a good 360 look around a sculpture when the digital image is in very high resolution available to you online. However, There have been arguments that there is a downside to this. Sarah, would you like to touch on that? So one of the downsides that I can think of that's been talked about when we talk about digitizing art um, is that it takes away from the physical museum or institutional experience of seeing a work in person um, and that it devalues the work itself. So if you don't have to travel to see this work, um, then you don't see it as culturally or ultimately important at all. It's just another image. Um, and so it, it takes away from the importance of the work, but it also takes away something from the experience. Am I on the right track? And also the institution there, you know, you're not patronizing an institution or, um, you know, the audiences are going down and speaking to devaluing a work itself, how does that affect the value of a painting? We're, I am not in a position as much as I know about art to, to really be placing any, any more than like one to five works in some sort of cultural hierarchy. Um, However, I will say that part of the experience of going to an institution is seeing things you didn't expect, um, is that element of discovery. I know that that is part of the mission of quite a few large encyclopedic institutions, at least in the United States. And being able to see one work in depth online actually... Um, negates that entire process of discovery, that that opportunity for growth. And while it might not seem like much, you never know. I mean, everybody is different. Everybody has different experiences with art. That's the point. And you never know um, if you're walking through an institution to get to their say their impressionism and you happen to go through their African collection, you might see something there that, that strikes you in some way, not literally, but that mentally gets your attention or something that reminds you of something else, something that prompts a conversation between you and your friend, something that makes you think of something or feel something that just something unexpected. Um, and that development, that 
that discovery is so important to who we are as as a as a species. That's how we move forward. Um, and so that would be actually that's really the only downside that I can think of. Now clearly there are some benefits. Um, accessibility being one of the main benefits of digitizing these collections, and it's still not entirely perfect. You know, maybe perhaps for physical accessibility, but not not necessarily for financial accessibility. Or if you don't have access to a computer or can't get to a library, I mean, there's there's all other different scenarios that people might encounter. Um, so it's definitely got its positives and negatives for sure. A couple of things that you said stood out to me, um, one being the mode of discovery. And I think that there is mode of discovery with it being available online. You know, people scroll through Pinterest and Tumblr all the time and discover crazy new things. So, you know, if if the library of images is laid out in a certain way, I think there's a lot of room for discovery, but it really just takes away the physicality. Like I have had many experiences where maybe if something had been a different size or placed in a certain way, I may not have noticed it or been drawn to it, but something about the physicality and the presence of an object is what caused me to stop and what would cause the discovery. So I think that there is still room for discovery, but it's, uh, it's a different, it's a different kind. But I do think when you were talking about going to, museums in groups with friends um that it's not that you don't have the opportunity to explore online together um but I feel like being in front of a screen is more often than not kind of a singular activity um of course you can if you invite someone to sit down and scroll through these images with you but more often than not it's kind of a one-on-one interaction and although i do go to museums and exhibitions by myself i'd probably say it's 50-50 50-50 alone and 50-50 going with company and being physically with art does kind of have this group discovery and a chance for togetherness, you know, and a lot of museums obviously have a lot of events centered around their work. And there's, there's something about, you know, feeling like a part of a community, not that there aren't art history chat rooms that you can also join and discuss these images. But there's another thing is just, yeah, the physicality of being a part of a group or, you know, Mm -hmm. engaging in the institution uh, with the rest of your community just kind of offers a different experience as well. Sure. I can see that, that the, the physicality of an artwork could promote a social connection that can't be forged by looking at the same work on a computer screen. Um, I think there's something to be said too. I was thinking about, so like, what are the coolest works to look up close at? And for me, it's the works that have, um, like a lot of different colors involved. And so you can really, really zoom in and, and see all of the different colors that made up this one piece of this larger work. Um, but I was thinking about how different my experience would have been, for example, with a Jackson Pollock. Um, I saw one of Pollock's large scale works in the Met in 2007 
and standing in front of that massive piece, even though even back then I had seen like up close images online, um, you know, just standing in front of it, truly the physicality took my breath away. And that is not an experience that I could have ever had online because you just can't get the scale. Um, it's not all about scale, but there is something to be said about the physical presence of art that is lost in the digitization of it. I had a similar experience really early on in my college days when I was going to Mia for the first time. And I think I was up on the third floor in like maybe the more northern wing area. Anyways, um, but it was a room that was very large and wide open and it had lots of great portraits, uh, like grand scenes, um, such as like a Titian. I think there's a couple of Titians in there. But then when you turned around, I just remember being like slapped across the face by this Kahindi Wiley that was placed. Oh, yes. I love that piece. Yeah, high up. It's of two male figures and they're they're lying down on, on rocks, like as if they fell from running or something. Mm-hmm. And it was great in the placement because I think if you would have categorized it, you know, this would have been uh, contemporary art and it wouldn't be found in, you know, you wouldn't have been able to search it so well if you were already looking at Titians, but they both had this grand scale and larger than life presence. And it was very vibrant in color. But had I seen that as a small icon, as I was scrolling through a bunch of contemporary art, you know, thumbnails, I probably wouldn't have been so wowed by it. Or it's photorealistic. I might have just thought it was a picture. The piece that you're referring to, the Kihindi Wiley piece, is called Santos Dumont, The Father of Aviation II from 2009. And it is still available to see at Mia up in the, on the third floor. Um, and I believe what you're referring to, your experience that you had, was something that Mia did was something that Mia did back in 2010, 11, um, called art remix, where they would, they would mix up, uh, contemporary pieces with, with more like Renaissance and earlier pieces even. Um, and I remember specifically that this, this piece, this Kendi Wiley piece, um, was featured really like physically up high above the viewer. And it, it just, it was a really, it was a really unique experience. Even now it's, I mean, it's still hanging in the third floor and it's not the we same. We both remember it. Yeah. In this we both place. remember it. Yep. Yeah. That was a really effective way uh, for an institution to, you know, do something really memorable with its collection. Mm-hmm. And really that's what institutions are supposed to do. They're supposed to not just present the artwork as it, as it is, but to, to find a new way of interpretation to facilitate that discovery that I was mentioning earlier. Very well said, Sarah. Do you have any further things you'd like to say? I, I don't. I think that everybody should go and check out the, the digital collections available online for the Chicago Institute of Art, um, Google Art, and uh, probably even local art institutions here in Minnesota, like the Walker and 
Mia. Mia also has their collection online. And didn't you say that a certain arts organization that we talked about on this podcast? Oh, my goodness. It's almost as if I had said this earlier that the Minneapolis Art Lending Library, um, in addition to to facilitating the sale of, of artworks, also buys artworks as an organization there, building their own collection. And you can see their collection online. Um, and these are not, you know, high-res images like the ones for Chicago. Um, but nonetheless, still a very good way to, um, to view art that was made by people in and around the Twin Cities. I'm headed there right now. Fantastic. And everybody else should be too. You can find all of these links in our show notes. You're going to have a lot of art to look at friends. I'm not even sorry about it. Hey, Soda listeners, thanks so much for hanging out with us. You can find our show notes and any other information about us at sodapodcast.blog. Email us. We want to hear your feedback. Please let us know other things we could be talking about on this podcast. Anything else at stateoftheartspod at gmail.com. That is also um, where how you can find us on Instagram at stateoftheartspod or just search State of the Arts Podcast. Please also review us on iTunes. It helps other people to find and listen to our show. And you can share with your friends. That also really helps spread the word about soda. We also have a Patreon page. There's a donate tab on our website. This will really help cover the costs of producing the podcast. And of course, our wonderful music is brought to you by Minneapolis band, The Von Tramps. Oh man. 20, I mean, 20 I know days. I, will be I know you're coming home days. for Turkey Day, also known as Thanksgiving. Also known as my uh, birthday, but that's Black also known Friday. As Jesus birthday. Yeah, your birthday's so technically Black heart. Friday, is that correct? Yeah, I mean it was Thanksgiving last year. Now it's Black right. Friday, right? Now it's Black Friday. Yeah. Mhm. 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 Right. That actually I I think it's too bad that your birthday isn't always Black Friday. Like if Black Friday could shift so that it was always on your birthday. I think that would be quite appropriate. I mean, for the blackness, not because I'm a consumeristic no, yeah, monster. No, Let's just not for the not for the <laughs> overcapitalism and the the gluttony and the um, disregard for other people's personal space um, and general safety. Um, well, maybe the gluttony and maybe the disregard for personal space, but <laughs> no, I disagree. I've always found you very respectful of my personal space. Oh. Well, then you need very little personal space. Great. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I know. So, you know, I lived in Minneapolis for my adult life, most of it. And my family was still coming from out of state. So it was still cool to go to the Mall of America. You know, you're not a local, so you're not jaded by it. Oh, uh, so yeah. I have spent many a Black Friday and sometimes also my birthday slash Black Friday, at least two at the Mall of America. No, really? Which I will say, it's not as bad as you think it would be. So I definitely think it's bad. Um, because I just, it's not I just great. pictured like just like, try it's not great. On, no. <laughs> but it's not as bad. Well, I never went at like 5 a.m., right? So this would be like mid-afternoon when all of the, the crazies who are going to shank you oh, for like, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's okay. Cool. 